Okay. Um, so we're we're gonna technically um finish up with um John eleven this morning. And when I say technically, we're gonna leave a handful of verses. I think it's three verses um for next week. Um if you have a Martha or an OCD tendency, that might that might bother you because we don't completely finish it. But if you look in 55, it says, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. I'm going to leave that as a sort of scene setting for the um, 12-1, which says six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. So we'll just kind of leave that last little portion of the story um, for, for the introduction to chapter 12. So we'll we'll finish up in 54. It says Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews. So everything we talk about this morning essentially will be related to um, why he didn't walk with the Jews. Um, we will um, get to the main the main point of the whole text um, today that he does. He does heal Lazarus. But we'll we'll start at verse uh, 38. So I'll open us in prayer real quickly and uh, we'll get started. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this time. Um, we thank you for the means and the method that you allow for us to get together on a morning where we're kind of sleeping late and and um, these kind of things. But, Lord, we know that you can wake us up with your word and we ask you to do that. Um, but we ask you that um, just in general for all of us as we go to church this this week, um, this morning, that you would just wake up your people for you, that you would you would open their eyes and their ears and their hearts to see the depth of the things that um, that you have them to be a part of. And so, Lord, as they read their word, as they hear their preaching, as they sing their songs this morning, Lord, I just ask you that you would get involved and be gracious and open them up to you and to see you for who you are, which is glorious and magnificent. Lord, if there's anyone that, as in our story here, there were different people struggling with your faithfulness and your ability. Lord, if anyone is struggling with that, Lord, I ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would you would move on their behalf this morning, that you would give them faith and trust and belief, that you would stir it up, that you would give them the perspective that allows them to surrender what they're holding on and trust in you with all that's in them. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, um, so let me make sure. So what I did on the outline, if you were to see it, is I broke it up in two parts, verses 38 and 48, uh, 38 to 44 is part one and 45 to 54 is part two. And basically um, I came up with um, nine verses that we can, we can emphasize this morning and just kind of, kind of um, see how those things flow together and tell the story of these, these, um, these um, section of verses. And then um, I did add some questions that I would like us to try to add, answer together um, just to kind of um, make it a little practical and, and make us cause us to think through the text a little bit better. Um, I'll go ahead and read the first four before we look at the, um, the text is um, in the first section verses 45 to 54. I'm going to, the first four questions that I asked was um, what does the odor say about the condition of the life of Lazarus. Um, the second one is, do we need Jesus to remind us of what he has told us before sometimes? And the third one is, do you believe God always hears you? 
And the final one was Jesus actually able to save the one that he loves. So keep those in mind as we read this text and uh, we'll, we'll point out a few of these, um, these verses. So picking up in um, 1138. Um, and I guess before, before we do that, um, I will just say um, what I'm, I'm thinking about doing, I've been praying about is um, as we finish chapter 12, which I think I can do that in about two weeks, but, but after this week, we'll spend two or three more weeks and we should get to the end of chapter 12. After that point, I think I want to take a little bit of a break. Um, we we that doesn't mean we, we won't come back to John, but but I see John in, in basically four parts, um, chapters one through four, five to twelve, and then thirteen to, to seventeen. Um, I think it was th- thirteen to eighteen, and then um then uh well. 13 to 17 and 18 to 21 is the last three chapters. So it's about four parts like that. And so 12 is a time we could kind of transition and do a little something just to kind of freshen some things up. And what I would like to do that I have on my heart is I would like to point out three basic things about um, there. There's four um, things that happen from about 18, um, about 1840 to 1880 or so, but about a 50 year period of time is the invention or the um, introduction to society of uh, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, um, Seventh-day Adventists, and actually dispensationalism was started at that time. Um, I also want to add too is Catholicism and um, progressive Christian, um, which is now and what I'd like to do by identifying and highlighting some points of that is to look at three specific things. Um, their view of prophecy, which much of them was a, much of that was established by uh, the, I think I gave you six options, but much of that um, those six options was established by false prophecy. There was a handful of them that you wouldn't really say they were um, necessarily um, majorly started by false prophecy. Uh, but we'll look at we'll look at that. Um, but what they all do is have a different way of handling scripture and have a different view of scripture than than traditionally people like us do, Protestants or whatever, people that kind of follow the reformers um of the of the 15th century. And then ultimately having a different view of prophecy and a different view of scripture actually ultimately comes up to a different view of who Christ is, who is the Christ of your Bible, who is the Christ of your heart. And um, to give you a, a way to flesh that out, so we homeschool and my um and my um my wife is kind of on the board of her particular homeschool and um and they do a basic interview when someone says, hey, we'd like to be a part of your your co-op. Um, I, I don't think I said that, but but she's the co-op. She, she's on the board of the co-op that, that we go to once a week. And um, and and their their interviewing process of someone trying a family trying to be a part of that co-op. They um, they they do what they do. Well, we're friends with some people that are part of another co-op. And um, anyway, some people left the particular co-op and are looking to come to ours. And someone reached out to 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 us and told us why they left and some different things. And, and basically um, it was basically they, they were asked to leave from one co-op because of their view of marriage, that they believed it was okay for same sex marriage and this kind of thing. And, um and, and the way it was said is that the person said, Hey, look, we've, 
we've taught with this person for years. They're sweet, kind people. Um, but, but basically what happened is they were liberal in a sense that they wouldn't tell you how they truly felt about something unless you asked them. And, um, and I think that's a more prevalent problem that we find in our day. Um, like over the last 20 years, people have become sort of theologically ignorant or they've become theologically asleep. And, you know, sometimes we need to ask ourselves, what are the most important questions that we need to be talking about when we talk about Christ, when we talk about scripture? And are we are we having those conversations? And so, well, my hope would be if if we do this is that it would begin to frame up our mind, you know, that when someone says, yeah, Jesus is cool. I like Jesus. Yeah, I, I worship Jesus. You know, that if they say something at that service level that we say, well, well, where do you go to church or, or, or when did you get saved or something, some kind of probing questions that would, 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 would cause us in this day and age, not to just take someone's confession of faith at surface level, but to be equipped to ask them and, and find out lovingly where they actually stand. So anyway, that's, that's a heartbeat or a goal of, of something I'd like us to try to look at. So, so be praying for that, uh, praying about that. So, um, Back to our text. So we looked at four parts of John and we're in verse 38 of chapter 11. Um, and we'll read these few verses. It says, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time, there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. So I'm going to take a moment just really quick. The question that I asked was on what does the odor say about the condition of the life of Jesus? So let's, let's just take a moment to get some input. What do you, you know, just focus in on this odor. What, what, what do you see that if someone you know, is talking to you about this text, what do you see about this text here? That that's, what does this odor mean? You, you said the odor of, of Jesus, but I think you meant the odor of Lazarus, right? Okay. All right. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> it is early. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, really late. So thank you for clarifying there. I don't I don't think scripture actually ever talks about the odor of Jesus at any point. Yeah. I mean, in this this case, I mean, there was a, a decomposition of the body that was taking place and i think they knew that he was absolutely dead i mean i think that the tradition was that um you know they similar to our what we call a wake or used to call a wake you know that they would um try to confirm that someone was dead and maybe even to the point that jesus delayed some before coming you know to make sure that that he was indeed uh deceased not not um just in a coma or, or sleeping or thought to be dead but he was actually dead and and they they believe that by now his body was decomposing and beginning to stink yeah um one simple way I, I don't know if i've shared this before but when i was in israel and and it was kind of exciting when she said that but the tour guide just said that essentially they had put them in a that that and you and you hear things sometimes in scripture you maybe don't know where to put it but they would they would prepare them for barrel they would put all this perfume on them and you think 
if you put them in a in a grave and you never go back and check on them, uh, you know, what's the purpose of this whole perfume and stuff? But it made more sense is they would put them in a cave and wrap them up with all these this perfume. And at least when they open the door and this odor moment happens, it would be somewhat bearable because they had masked it with perfume for these three days. Um, but if there is no odor and, and they're like, man, what did y'all do in here? Did I pass out or something? You know, then it would be a time of rejoicing. Um, so, so I think this opening and then smelling that odor or not would have, would have a sense under that tradition been a final, he's really gone or they're really gone or are they're not. And so, you know, I, I think like it doesn't say in this text, a second thought about the odor, but uh, but I believe that was in their tradition, their custom. If they would have cracked that door open and there would have been no odor, they would have been hopeful um, and it would have been a different way. Um, so, um, all right. Well, Mr. Wayne, you go with that. We'll move to the second thing or anything on the odor. I'm, I'm going to be thinking about it, but I'm not, okay. nothing to say right now. Okay. Um, so, so we're just working through four points here in this section. So um, picking back up in verse 40. It says, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? Now, what I'd like to pull out from that scripture, or, or let me see, what was the question? I, the question was just this. Do we need Jesus to remind us of what he has told us before sometimes? And, um, and I think that's a practical question for you to ask in your heart, you know, this morning. Um, but, but way he, this phrase that he says, did I not tell you, he's reminding her that if you believe you would see the glory of God. Now this goes back, um, in the first, um, I guess it's in verse four, but he says, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. And so that the son of God may be glorified through it. In addition, um, Let's see, she had, you know, in verses 17, um, verse 21, she, Martha said, Lord, if it, if it, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, which we pointed out last week that her, her and Mary had the same response. But in 22, she says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So he's speaking that is kind of leading to this point. Um, I said that he has kind of two points there. One is when he's talking to the disciples about the light and that the people of the world only have the light of this world. There's no light in them, alluding to the fact that Jesus is the light of the world and that, you know, he's a little different. He um, has a little more opportunity, more than 12 hours in a day. But here, right after he says this statement with Martha, he has another kind of poem or phrase or a little witty statement. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, which would kind of be alluding to possibly Lazarus here, yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so that kind of brings us to this, this idea in verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? What I think is also interesting about this statement is two other groups of people in, in um, is the disciples and the crowd that was there um, 
at the funeral, so to speak, are there. It just says the people that were there to comfort Mary and her, her sister or her family. But, but pointing out just two more things real quick before we unpack this specific thought and verse is that it says, then Jesus told them in verse 14 of chapter 11, it says, then Jesus told them, meaning the disciples, plainly Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So this, so that you may believe Jesus is cooking something up in the kitchen that I'm about to do something so that the disciples believe so that Mary believes. And in our next part, we'll see that are our, our, our at the end of this part, our last point on this, uh, these four um, points here, we'll see that, that, that what there was something he was doing so that the, the crowd there would believe. So these, so that's give context to the text that all of these things that he left, he stayed for two days and he waited to four days to give it some time. All these, in some sense, the point the text is pointing to would have an impact on um, giving them the opportunity or furthering their belief and trust and faith in him. Um, so, um, so I'll turn it back over to you. So the verse 40, Jesus said, said to her, do I, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? And so at this point, do we need Jesus to remind us of what he told us before sometime? So any thoughts on, on, on those things there? I would say for me, yes. <laughs> He, uh, he reminds me often about um, things that he's told me. So um, via his word, um, you know, when I think about, you know, what what the Bible not only says about who Jesus is, but also what it says about who we are in him. Um, and I think left to myself, I, I forget that, you know, I forget that I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, I've been bought with a, a great price. And if, if I always look to myself for my worth, I'm going to always um, uh, end up on the wrong side of the spectrum. But whenever I remind myself of what Christ did for me and what, what the word says, um, you know, who we are in him positionally, uh, you know, so we'll play on words there. But um, it's true, I think, on, on this side of the cross for us um, in, in the here and now that uh, positionally who we are in Christ, you know, we have to be reminded of that. Otherwise we, we just um, like a pig, you know, we just wallow in the, in our own mud. Yeah. So like one thing that I didn't read, but right before verse 38, where we started today in um, I guess 36 and 37, last two verses of last week, it says, so G, So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind, blind man also kept him, this man from dying? So I think we'll, we'll flesh this out a little bit more when we get to the um, second part. But if you think of three miracles from this five to 12 um, text that we've done in John, John chapter five to chapter 12. The first one started in 5-1 was a man 38 years crippled. And he later on in chapter 7 discusses with them about if they 
um, break the law of Moses, not to work on on the Sabbath to circumcise a child, then what's wrong with him making a whole man, um, making a, a, a man whole on the Sabbath? And, um, but, but there's that miracle that, that creates some tension. And then in John 9, 1, there's a miracle of this blind man that creates tension. When we went through that text, we saw almost like Jesus separating the sheep and the goats um, through the way he was talking and acting about these things. These signs was causing some people to find a place in his heart and say, how can this guy not be from God? And other people saying that he can't be from God. And, and they're, they're working through all that. But but I'm, I'm giving you an example of four. So you have this in 5-1 and 9-1. But here in chapter 11, we have a man that has died and he's going to raise him, you know, he's going to heal him by raising him back to life. But then the fourth one, and the, the reason this one comes up to my mind is because of this thought, is this phrase, phrase this, this perspective of people towards the actions of Jesus, could not he open the eyes, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? It, it immediately projects me to one other miracle one other event that's not actually captured in John chapters five through 12, but it's at the cross. And when Jesus is hanging on the cross, they said he saved others. See if he can save himself. Now, if you take those four events that I laid out for you, those first two events in chapter five and nine are events where Jesus was more active and he got involved in culture and did something that was shocking to them. But these last two events here with Lazarus and Jesus, he was actually passive. He was surprisingly passive and people, what they're actually shocked about is why, if he was active in these situations, is he not, is he passive in these situations? And, and, and their stumbling is, is, if he was faithful and awesome and loving and kind in this way with these situations, why is he not that way in this situation? If he's going, if he is the Christ, if he is here to rescue his people, why is he hanging on a cross? Why is he not fighting back with these Roman soldiers? And then if he, if he's weeping and he loves Mary and he loves Martha and he loves Lazarus, why is he sitting back? not doing anything. And so those four miracles begin to kind of frame up and it actually brings us to the foot of the cross or to Christ and ask ourselves, what season of life are we in? Are we getting our sight like the blind man or getting our ability like the lame man? Is God just being cool to us? Or are we a season where we're wondering, why did he let this happen to us or why is he letting this thing happen in general and so um so in this second point i do believe and as i read these scriptures as i see these things come together i believe god is reminding me in a way that he has told me some stuff he has given me some promises that can give me some pep in my step that can give me some trust in that not all of my christian life it's going to be sort of active where he just takes all my problems away. Sometimes he's going to let me 
you know, for some reason I'm thinking about the disciples in the boat and all the storm. And they say, do you not care if we perish? Sometimes that's going to be my perspective. Sometimes that's going to be my attitude where I'm going to be like, why are you letting this happen, Jesus? What does it take to get you active? What is it? What does it take for for it? And 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 sometimes God is waiting two more days, and 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 His for a purpose. It's for a reason that we can grow in our belief, grow in our trust in Him, and grow in our faith. All right. So, um, if we pick up in verse forty-one, this will be our third point here. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So I want to focus in on the phrase, but I say, I said this on account of the people standing around he's a, addressing an audience he's addressing a point and so the question would be um the the one that I, I came out to my mind is do you believe that god always hears you what you think we've kind of been talking about that a bit what, what y'all's thoughts no i do i did believe he always hears us Always. In fact, he does those have thoughts before we even put it into words. But uh, I was trying to, when we initially started talking about this event, I was trying to picture what he was trying to do for the people around him in his uh, days on earth. And as a, as a different perspective than we have, we are so blessed to know the whole picture, the whole scene. So we can, we can put this into the whole puzzle of it, who he was. Um, and realizing that he is God and realizing he, he was also presenting his deity more to the people around him because they were still saying prophet and all this other stuff. And we also need that same reassurance that Jesus, while he walked the earth, was truly God, is truly God, so that we know the whole picture. We can still rely on the Bible and rely on what we know about Jesus to guide our lives and we can always refer to him who is with us um, for our future for our future life so we have to really truly take all these things that he did to heart and really really apply them to what who we worship <laughs> who he is yeah so you any thoughts mike on 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 those thoughts or do you believe god always hears you Yes, um, I was looking for a verse, but I couldn't find it. But um, I do believe that he always hears us, but how he responds to us may be hindered by certain things in our lives, you know. So if if um, if Jesus was to ask the father of something, and I, I think when he when Jesus says hears, I think um, it's not just a, a hearing. It's also a a, a, a responding to and how it aligns with the will of God, you know, just because he, he hears doesn't mean that he will respond in the way that you think. Um, uh, I mean, Jesus also prayed that this cup be removed from me. And I believe God heard that, but I don't believe that God responded to that because our, 
uh, responded to the way that um, Jesus and his physical um, being was asking for something because it didn't line up with the will of God, you know, um, maybe a little deeper there, but I was thinking about, um, there's a verse that talks about certain prayers being hindered because things going on in our lives. Um, so I, I, I do believe that there is, um, things that can hinder, um, God quote unquote hearing us, if you will, but at a surface level, I think he always hears, you know? Yeah. And I think in, in 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 the perspective of this text, um, you know, as we move into this next part, and he heal, hears, I mean, I think there was a tension. Um, I think Mary and Martha, one audience, you know, they they sent and they said, "Can you, you know, he's ill." That meant to, in a woman in one woman language, get here right now. If they would have knew he waited two more days, I'm sure. They would have been um, woman unhappy, you know, mama ain't happy with that. But but regardless, they're still grieving and weeping and mourning and and uh, and they're 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 kind of lost hope. This isn't a good day for them. And so when he turns that away around in a way that um, that no one expected, um, I, I think they would have felt a sense of he he hears me, he knows me. Um, and so that kind of leads into the, the next question. Was Jesus actually able to save the one that he loves? And so pick it up in verse 43. He says, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And so, uh, you know, back, back to this question, was Jesus actually able to save the one that he loves? I mean, you know, in the division of the hearts of people, I would imagine a lot of the different people were given up hope. And, and, and so, as as we've kind of pointed out is what's there in the text is he tells the disciples it's good that i was not there he reminds mary here in this little section we've been looking at um didn't i tell you if you believed and then he also said here he's when he's talking about hearing he says he gives this phrase on account of the people that are standing around here that they may believe and so in all three of these senses, he's talking about the people that are with him, you know, sort of like if you thought about a, if there was a great pastor and, and, and they were saying, if my pastor could get here and then the disciples would play the role of, of the people that travel with the pastor, um, you know, his staff, so to speak. And, um, and of course you would have had um, the extended family there. And so all three of these groups, whether it be the people that are traveling with him or those that he loves that have put their trust in him and their extended family and all three of them, he's in a unique way through this event of Lazarus is, um, is bringing them to know more about him, to believe and trust and have to give them more reasons to believe and trust and have faith in him. And then I didn't spend a lot of time on Lazarus, but just real briefly, I didn't put a question or note, but think about it. You're ill and you've talking to Mary and Martha and, and, and you say, Oh, we need to get Jesus here. And they sent a message to go get, get Jesus. 
And he probably, before he died, probably maybe had a comment with Mary or Martha and said, is Jesus coming? So in another sense, another person just waiting in a different perspective, in a different way for Jesus to come. And so what would have been unique is to interview Lazarus after he come out, because Lazarus would have went from, is Jesus coming to dying to Lazarus come out? <laughs> and him just walking out with new life in his body. He maybe had the comments like, what happened here? Well, how did all these clothes get on me? What is all this smelly stuff, you know, this perfume and stuff? Mary, did you put your anointment on me or something like that? So that's all just ad-libbing, but it'd be be fun to see what 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 all would have happened there. So any any thoughts before we move in in verse 45? Um you know, does, does that challenge you in this story? You know, just I know it's sort of a silly question, but as we're considering, like Mr. Wayne was saying, we see the whole story. But but have you ever had a time in your life where you're like, can Jesus really do this? And he maybe shocked you or surprised you by um, coming through when you didn't think he would. That's, that's the whole point. We, we better be from our grave, wherever it happens to be, somewhere in heaven, I personally believe, uh, we better be expecting Jesus to say, wake up, Wayne, come on out. And I expect it. For sure. What you think, Mike? I, I guess I don't really have anything else to add to that. I was, yeah, I was thinking earlier, you know, we were talking about... Um, you know, can we really um, believe or do we need to be reminded of what, what God has done? And I think about um, just Lazarus and, you know, probably the, the coolest analogy I've ever heard, and I've shared this before, but, you know, God don't always answer prayers the way that we think they should be answered. And a lot of times it's it's so much better than the way that we would, we ask for it, if you will. Um, I mean, you think about if if Jesus would have been there and would have healed Lazarus, it would have probably just been another one of those stories that kind of just faded off. Not that it wasn't wouldn't have been awesome to to heal this friend, but how much more awesome is it that he raised him from the grave? Um, and and those kind of stories happen in our lives too. You know, a lot of times we think that. Um, you know, if, if God would just answer this prayer, you know, in the here and now we pray for certain things and it doesn't happen. But later on, we see that the way that God answered it, as we look back in the rearview mirror, as we see the big picture, um, he answered it in so much awesome, more awesome way than we could have ever thought. You know, and I think about the analogy of just a tapestry, um, you know, and I heard somebody say that one time, and it just makes so much sense. If you ever look on the backside of a tapestry, there's just chaos and confusion. There's threads that are cut. It, you can't see the picture. Um, and, you know, I heard someone say one time that God is weaving a tapestry and we won't be able to see the full picture until we get to the other side. And a lot of times here and now, the chaos and confusion, things that don't make sense, threads that look out of place. But one day we're going to be on the other side and we're going to see his handiwork that has taken place not only in our lives individually but globally for for the people that he loved um that has has uh, sown a picture that 
is just going to be so amazing. You know? For sure. Well, good deal. Well, um, this this part two um, starts here in verse 45. And um, I think I had five um, highlighted scriptures and six questions. And um, we've got about 20 minutes here. So I'm going to kind of couple, couple, couple them to get it to three. So um, the first two questions of the text um, here is, did some of the Jews... Um, at the funeral, I might have ad-libbed that a little bit, but this crowd that's supporting um, Mary, did some of the Jews um, supporting Mary believe upon Jesus, and did some of them involve the spiritual authorities? Um, so we'll see the, that answer here in the first two verses. Um, verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. So it's it's interesting to, to see. I'm in the ESV. I don't know if a, a different version does something different, but it's interesting to follow that ta tapestry that, that Mike was talking about, but that um the the idea of believe down through there. Um Jesus is saying you you will believe and then they are believing. Um, um so I think that's interesting. But in um so it says many of them who come with Mary and seen what he did, meaning the raising of Lazarus, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And so um, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, but but we see that division. We see the, those two different groups. Um, the next question um, from this text is, how did the spiritual authorities respond to Jesus doing this third miracle before them. And so we're just, we're, we're, we're stepping back and remembering in five, one, the healing of the lame man. Um, we're, we're looking at the blind man and now we're looking at a dead man. Um, so these from five to 12 of John, these are the three miracles that we see and all of them are very intentional. And Jesus is telling a fairly amazing story through these three signs. Um, and, um, so how did the spiritual authorities respond to Jesus doing this third miracle? And so that picks up here in verse 47. It says, so the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered the council. And um, and some of some of the Bible versions called the council um, the Sanhedrin, um, which was the 70 leaders kind of um, paralleling from the 70 people that Moses used to judge and lead the people. It's kind of like a Supreme Court in our in our perspective, um, in their system. But it um, the council and said, "What are we to do for this man? Performs many signs." And then they go on to say, um, "If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him." So here's that tapestry of believe again. And so some have believed, some have come in involved with authorities, but they're saying if we keep letting him do signs like this unabated, everyone's going to believe in him. Um, sounds like a good thing, right? <laughs> you know, but but not, not so much for them. And then the I think the question, so how did the spiritual authorities respond to Jesus doing this third miracle? And the fourth question is what was their concerns? And in the next verse, they unpack that. If we let him go on like this, every uh, everyone will believe. And then after that, and the Romans will come and take away both 
our place, and our nation. I thought what was interesting, I think it's it's 833 or 831, but you remember back in chapter 8, as he's un- unmailing their, their belief of Moses and unmailing their belief of Abraham, and, and, and he is telling them, um, anyone who abides in my word will be free, and their offense to that is that they've never been slaved. But here again, and we talked about that then, um, they're scared to death and concerned about Rome, Rome. So they're in bondage in that, that way. So, um, so anyway, um, any, any quick thoughts on, on that? Um, you know, any, any thoughts on how the spiritual authorities, um, kind of started going South in the wrong way, anything that just kind of sticks out? Well, we always think about, uh, Judas Iscariot, but, um, God made all the necessary steps for his son to be crucified. And that was one of them is to have these people act like Judas and run, run to the Pharisees and, and, and stir up their feelings of uh, fear and resentment of Jesus. You know, yeah. but, uh, like I said, thank God we have the whole picture and 2000 years later, we can appreciate what God was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Anything Mike or. Yeah, I don't know if that's ever jumped out to me that much before now, just looking at it. But, you know, you think about um, they're expecting a Messiah that's a political leader that's going to save them, right, in the in the physical. And, you know, it might be that some of them wanted to believe, but he just didn't fit the role that they thought the Messiah would be. And, and you know, you're talking about this man who who claimed to not have a, you know, foxes have dens and all this stuff. And, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head, you know, and what kind of, what kind of political leader is that, you know, someone that be quote unquote, that passive to this, this Roman government. Um, And if, if we let it alone or let him alone, everybody's going to believe in him and act like him. And that was their concern, right? If, if they believe in him, they're going to, they're going to buy into his, his uh, agenda and and Rome is going to take us away. You know, they'll they'll just will be a big pushover to them. Um, and and it's very interesting that uh, that was that was their concern. So here they are; their lives are in the balance of do we do we believe and let go of the things of this world, um, or do we resist and and hold tightly? And and is that a, is that a true statement for us? you know, today, here and now, you know, the, the, the ways of Christ are so different than the ways of this world. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so this last part is kind of interesting and, and we've, we've used uh, through, through, through going this book, we've, we've looked back at Peter's, um, uh, Matthew 16, 17 confession a couple different times. Um, and, and this one kind of makes me think of that too. But um, but the questions, um, you know, we would we, finish. Well, what was their concerns? The religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the priest. Um, but but these last two questions is is how is Caiaphas a prophecy similar to Matthew 16, 17, Peter's confession? And who is the ultimate authority of accurate prophecy? Um, so looking at the text um, in verse 49, it says, you know, so they had said the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So it's a it's a scene of anxiety. Um, 
if if we keep letting go, everybody's going to believe, you know, and, and, and then in that scene of anxiety there, it says, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year said to them, you know, nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And so you see this scene of something you ever had something rise up in you and you holler at your kids or your wife or some friends or something. So you see this sort of something overcome him and rise up in him. And he sputters out these words very clearly. And, and so they're chatting these 70 people discussing what to do. And he tells them, you know, nothing at all. Just kind of bows up with them. Shut up. You know, nothing at all, you know? And, and, and it, and it tells us the text tells us that he was the high priest, which is significant that God would choose to sort of use authority to communicate this message by rising up the spirit of the high priest to hush them down. You know, nothing at all. And he makes this statement in verse 50. Um, and I have a way of highlighting in my Bible. And one of the things I highlight is the key points that God himself says. Now here, these words are being said by Caiaphas, but I highlighted it in my Bible in a way that God said this in verse 50. He said, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die. And to be clear, he's talking about Jesus for the people not that the whole nation should perish. So this concern about the nation perishing and in their perspective, they were will, they, I've been picking with my wife about virtue signaling, but what virtue signaling by definition is doing something that you know is wrong and making and justifying that it's okay. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, we are going to kill a guy that, that is innocent. And we're going to murder him, but it's for the good of the nation, you know. So he he's just he's our flesh gets very religious, very spiritual, and it'll justify all kinds of nonsense. Um, and Jesus didn't do that, but these seventy priests, the Sanhedrin, um, Sanhedrin does that. Um, let me see. Um, how is you know how is it similar? So, so before we discuss this, I'll read this last little verse 51 on this one. He did not say this um, of his own accord. So let's just pause with that phrase a second. Scripture says that after he made this 50 verse, it says in verse 51, he did not say this um, of his own accord. Like, what do we do with that phrase? What does that mean about what Caiaphas just, just said? And um, and he says, but be give some more description. But being high priest that year, he prophesied. That's not me saying that. That's what Scripture is saying. That Caiaphas, rotten guy, sent Jesus to the cross, prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also together in the children of God who are scattered abroad. Real briefly uh, on this. Um, let me see if I can get back to it. So Acts um, um, 3.17, I like that verse. It says, 
And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. This is the second time that Peter is a, is essentially evangelizing to his Jewish people that were a part of telling the priest and getting Caiaphas to prophesy and them choosing to 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 kill Jesus for the sake of the nation. Um, and and he's second time in in Acts three seventeen he's he's preaching to them and he says I know that you acted in ignorance as did also the rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that the Christ would suffer, he thus has fulfilled. And then one other verse, let me see if I can find it. Um, I don't have it keyed up. I meant meant to key it up, but um. Is, is in Acts 2, which was the first time he preached. In Acts 2, 23, he said, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of, of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawness. So he says, he, he says he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, which is what we're seeing the conception of that here. And I'm thinking of one other last one. Um, let me read that one just because this is awesome. Um, in first Corinthians um, chapter two, um, it says, um, it says um, in verse six, it says yet, yet among the mature, we do not impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of the sage of the rulers of the sage who are doomed to pass away. So here in verse seven, he says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And then it says, this is where I'm trying to get to on verse eight. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And, and I'll stop with that. So now let's look at the whole text that we, we, we've seen here. So. There, they have an anxiety. Let me get back to where we, where we at. They have an anxiety. Oh, trying to get there. Let's see. Um, we are in John eleven fifty there. So they have an anxiety in in forty eight here. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take our place. And then Caiaphas says, "You know nothing at all," and he gets all fiery, and he says. Let's he virtue signals and says, let's just kill this guy and everything will be be fine and dandy. Well, all of that was in the plan of God. And what's interesting is, is what does he say? He says it's he said it's better that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. So the objective of this one man dying is so that the whole nation will not perish. And so what does the death of Jesus make a way for? The nation's not not perishing. So it's it's artistically amazing. <laughs> you, know, you can go find any artist of this world and you're not going to find one as great as our as our God and as our Lord and Savior. Um what they do right here under our noses in scripture is quite amazing. So um I think we got what five minutes here. Um, the only text we didn't read there was just two verses kind of closing it up. Um, so, um, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. 
And Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called um, Ephraim. And there he stayed with his disciples. And so we'll pick up um, next week um, with the idea of chapter 12 and working through that in two, possibly two weeks, um, maybe three, if if we um, feel like we need to slow down for something but we'll pick up with now the Passover the Jews was at hand. Um, so any final thoughts on, on, on that little question about the prophecy? Um, I, I didn't go back to 1617, but, but he tells uh, Peter, you didn't do that on, on, on your own accord, but the father revealed that to him. So, so I think this idea of what does what is biblical prophecy? What is a prophecy? What kind of prophecy do you put your trust in? And um, and I think this gives some some defend, definitive perspective on a prophecy that you can trust on. You know, when the scripture says, and he prophesied because of this, this, and that, um, I think it gives you a, a foundation of what kind of prophecy we should put our trust in. So I'm shutting up. What y'all think? Once again, you, if, if you look at the whole picture, you see God and his hand in it. You know, you, you asked earlier, do, does God always hear us? He always hears us, but we don't see the picture so often. But there is God's hand that works so amazingly. It's seldom taught that way where everything that happened. I mean, Caiaphas's heart was hardened just like the Pharisees' heart was hardened so that God could fulfill what he intended to do. Sure. God intended for Jesus to die, not yeah. for the nation of Israel, but for the nation of all of his children, for the sake of heaven. Yeah. What do you think, Mike? Well, of the two examples that you mentioned here with Caiaphas and, and with Peter, um, where he confessed Christ, in both cases, I don't think either one of those realized that they were uh, prophesying, you know, um, sometimes we have ideas and thoughts and we might just speak it out. And, and, in in Peter's case, Jesus told him, said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven, you know, so you, you can only imagine that Peter was all struck going, I thought that was my idea, you know, but in, in some cases, you know, um, things that come out of our mouth, um, you know, it's because the, the spirit put it there, you know, and, um, we thought it was our idea, but it really wasn't. Um, I was I was looking at that that just his uh, Caiaphas prophecy, uh, you know, that one man should die, and I don't know if uh, the electronic version I'm looking at doesn't have a footnote of any other verse that would lead to that as the um, you know reference to something else. But I think back and and maybe it was just known. Just the number. Yeah, kind of Wayne, can you mute um, yours if you don't mind? Getting some feedback. There you go. Um, but maybe it was just known that um, that one would represent the nation. And I think back to the story. The only one I can think of right now is the story of David and Goliath. Right? You know. So you got two opposing armies, and the way of war perhaps was, and I've, I'm no historian by any means, but maybe you just bring out your best one, right? Hey, if, if your best can beat our best, then y'all, y'all win and we lose and vice versa. 
Um, and maybe that was part of this prophecy is the fulfillment of that is, hey, rather than the whole nation perishing, let's just bring out the best one that represents um, that group of people, if you will. Um, and obviously, Jesus would have been the best representation of the quote unquote nation of God. Um, and although he died, <laughs> just full circle with the story that we're reading, that he is the, the resurrection and the life, you know, he may have died physically here. They may have killed him physically, but the, the tapestry said that's not the end of the story. <laughs> it's, it's much greater than that. So interesting. Yeah. All this stuff ties together. Yeah. So if, if, if Jesus, you know, was, was the David, then I guess the cross would be the Goliath, you know, or, or the sin of the world would be the Goliath. So, you know, that that's pretty interesting. When you go from the old covenant and the new covenant, you see sort of these, um these hints or uh, foreshadows that, that, that are framing up something like in this case, maybe David and Goliath. And, um and, and then you see in the new covenant, these things be exalted so much greater, you know, um, you know, you, you think about if, 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 if you think about that picture, you know, everybody's scared of Goliath and David comes on and says, I'll take this giant on who, who is he against my God? And, and if you, if you were to picture that as the attitude of Jesus coming on and saying, I'll take on the sin of the world. It's not too, you know, it's not too big for me and him willing to, to fight a battle, which is, you know, David just took some stones and hit a guy in the head and cut his head off with a sword, you know, a sword. Jesus literally was beat that he was unrecognized. He was tortured on a cross. Um, you know, he actually fought, you know, in a, in a significant way in the flesh more than, than anyone would have, would have ever in history fought for the kingdom. Um, and so, yeah, man, that, that that's pretty good little reference. Um, I, I like thinking of that that way because uh, he he is awesome. Um, I think I, I before we leave, I, I do want to read this one text um, out of Hebrews one, the first three verses, just just in regard to prophecy. And it says long ago and many times in any in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So, you know, um, there had been almost 400 years before John the Baptist where they re really hadn't had a clear prophet that they um, they knew. And so John the Baptist um, breaks that silence. And then here we're seeing Ca Ca Caiaphas prophesy here. But he said long ago and many times in many ways. And in this point, he's speaking to the Old Testament. Um, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he is spoken to us by his son, who he appointed the heir of all things. And he goes on to say, through whom all, uh, through whom also he created the world, um, he and his radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of nature and upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So I don't know. I just thought about that, you know, that, that fulfillment of prophecy, you know, in Christ and, you know, what I didn't get to address um, this morning is um and I'll I'll send something out here Monday or Tuesday for you as an exercise 
But as we finish up 12, I, I want to the next couple of weeks talk about this. But um, I believe I sent something out. I'll, I'll, I'll clarify it. But as we finish up this 5 to 12 um, story out of John, chapter 5 to chapter 12, what I noticed is the odd section of scripture. It's um, it's from um, I wrote it down in my notes, but it's uh, let me get to it. But it's um, five nineteen to twenty nine is is where it's at in um, in chapter five, and then the last paragraph starting in verse forty four of chapter twelve, and it's you it's unique in the way that it's sort of dropping hints what it's doing is as we looked at a few phrases to to this morning that were significant and gave um weight to the paragraph or the thought or the chapter or the section um sometimes jesus drops sort of single words and the five words that i'll send out um it's it's out there somewhere but is authority it's judge it's it's sent it's um um Glory is one of them, but it's it's really defined in, in light or honor and life. And so when we look at those miracles, the blind man is opening eyes. That's sort of like light. It's bringing attention to where you can see the truth for what it is. Life is is in one sense, the man 38 years crippled and also Lazarus was completely dead. And then other scripture, as you look through um, the word life of how John uses it, um, it, it says that there's life in, in the father and he gives life to who he chooses and there's life in the son and he gives life to who he chooses. So our life comes from the well of, of Christ, whether that's water or whether that's the bread of life or, or however, um, he's communicating to us, I am your source of life. I am the one that opens your eyes where you can see. So at the top of the text, when he's saying um, most people just have the light of the world, but I am the light of the world. So he gives you sight, um, even though you're blind there, there, if God wants you to see something, there's no one going to stop you from seeing it. So what I'm trying to say is if you look at this five to 12 and you say that there is a paragraph verses 19 to 29 in chapter five and 44 to whatever the last verse is in chapter 12, if you look at them closely, you see these five ideas, authority, judge, sent, um, glory, which is lighter honor and, um, and life. You see these five concepts. And if you were to take and do a word search just in the book of John and ask yourself, where does John use the word life? Where does he use the word light? Where does he use the word sent? One of the things that are interesting is all five of these words are used approximately 30 some odd times, all five of them in the deal of John. But the one that's used the most is the word sin. It's used like 53 times. And I think that's the most powerful, simple one. And it's a simple gospel principle that we take for granted. As Mr. Wayne points out a lot, we know the whole story. But this idea of who is Jesus, Jesus is the one that God has sent in its most fullest form. So God sent prophets of old. He sent John the Baptist. He even prophesied through Caiaphas today. But what he did through Jesus was he gave more content 
through Jesus than any other person about who God is and what his intention or plan for us is and how he's going to fulfill that. And um, it was more, it was more complete. It was more true. It was more powerful. So when you read that introduction to Hebrews, thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus, the prophet. Thank God for Jesus, for the messenger. And so when it said that God, when we see that God sent because we're asking, did he send Isaiah? Did he send Elijah? Did he send? And how do we know that he sent them? Did he send John the Baptist? And how do we know that? How do we know what's real prophecy? But there is no one that God verified that his word was true and that he was sent by him more than Jesus. It's not even, it's not even close. And so what I'm getting at is I believe in a sense, there's a bullet point or a summary that, that John has put in chapter, chapter five to 12 in these little sections with these five words. And, and what they do is they help you dive into this book to the deeper message just a little bit more because we've walked through it slow. We haven't blown through it. We took time to till up the land and look at the text a little bit more, but we have navigated in the chronological order of the way John wrote it down. But I just want to say that if you look at what John says, because it's almost like you're talking, you have something you want to talk about, but you're throwing these other things in, these rabbit chasing things, and you don't ever fully put your thought there. And so John does have a message about life and a, and a message about life and a message about judgment and a message about the authority of Jesus and a message about the fact that he was sent from God, you know, who was sent from God. He has a message that if you focus in on those ideas and do a topical study in a sense with that, a word search through that, you will see something extremely cool. So like I said, as we move on past five and 12, I want you to, to be challenged to, to do that, to do a word search of life, do a word search of light. And just read those texts. And you're not trying to force anything on scripture or anything. You're just trying to bring those scriptures in a unique way. And with the idea of what is John, what is God through Jesus, through John, what is he trying to say about light and life and sin? And I think those two, light and life, are, are spelled out right there in those miracles. Um, the, the, the man that was lame. We're talking about life. He's restoring his life. The man that was blind, we're talking about life. He's restoring his sight. Then the last two, you know, Lazarus dead. We're talking about life and Jesus on the cross. We're, we're talking about life. We're talking about the resurrection, which was Easter and that kind of thing. So anyway, I went long, but I, I did want to, I, I did want to cover that. I will send um, something like the breadcrumb trail the first of the week, Monday or Tuesday out. And um, with some text for you to kind of more clearly look at that. But we will pick up in chapter 12 next week. And like I said, my goal is to try to do it in two, two weeks, if not three. And if we can finish all that in three weeks, like I said, I'd like us to take a little bit of a break and us look at some of those denominations and um, kind of for me, this is a, if, if everybody's seen the karate kid, and Danielson gets upset with, um, he's like, I came to you to teach me karate. 
and uh, and you ain't teach me nothing but how to do your your chores. Uh, I think this slow walk through chapters five to twelve has probably taught us more than we probably realize. And so as we apply that into something practical about understanding people of different faiths and understanding people of our community and taking a moment to focus in on on our ability not to do karate, but evangelize, how can we have meaningful conversations with people in our highways and byways? I think we'll be surprised of what we've actually learned over these these chapters of text and walking through them. So, Mr. Wayne, you want to close us in prayer? Oh, he's muted. Mr. Wayne, you're muted. <laughs> a karate prayer. I mean, a Chinese movie, a Korean movie prayer or something. <laughs> Thank ahead. you for being with us today in our hearts, in our minds, and totally trying to get our attention and get our focus on you and our focus on your son, Jesus. Um, let us take these things back to you in prayer and grow immensely from what we focused on today let us follow through with this with our intention as dennis has said to reach out to others with what we understand and share it with all the world we can in jesus name support us in everything that we do amen amen well i hope you have a great morning if y'all need anything let me know and Mr. Wayne, um, that I'll, I'll email you one more time that website and let me know if you have a problem getting to it. So, um, well, I, I put it in the chat. I don't know if he knows how to get to that. Oh, uh, yeah, I put it in the chat. If you, can, okay. if you see on your your screen, if you see the chat window, you should be able to get to it. Maybe you can copy and paste that into a, a web browser or something too. Right. If you see the chat on your window, what he's saying, um, Mr. Wayne, is if you see maybe like a little um, badge that's saying one or something, if you hit that, he's saying that's the website. But it's dlt-explore.blogspot.com. Yeah, uh, I have tried it, but I'm going to try it again. Maybe I'll let you know what difficulty. Yeah, call me the first of the week. If you... My phone's an Android, and it don't talk to my computer very well. Okay. Well, call me the first of the week if you if you haven't still having problems. All right, we'll do. Okay. All right. See y'all. See you. Bye.